The news of the day, of course, is the guilty verdict for Jennifer Crumbly on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. We've been getting the opinions of legal minds throughout the morning. We had Todd Flood. We had Jeffrey Schwartz. All of those will be on WJR.com if you want to hear from them. Let's bring in Echo Yanka, Associate Dean for Faculty and Research and the Thomas M. Cooley Professor of Law at the University of Michigan. Uh, sir, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I saw uh, some of your quotes in the New York Times. Uh, you think parents may be thinking, if I have a troubled kid, I'm doing my best. At what point is his or her behavior no longer my responsibility? Yeah, I mean, look, I think like everybody who's seen this case, the facts are so troubling and so damning. And I completely understand why a prosecutor would want to prosecute this case. Um, my heart goes out to the families, and I frankly don't know how I would have voted in the jury box. But I do think the life of the law is precedent. And once you have a precedent out there that a child can be responsible or a parent can be responsible for a child's acts, the next prosecutor is going to push that example and push the next example. And, um, you know, it might be a parent whose child is involved in gang violence and leaves a gun, you know, an old child old enough to know where to get the family gun. Or maybe your child um, is struggling with drugs and alcohol, for example, and you know, did you secure the car? Um, those examples are further away. I'm not saying they're the exact same, but, um, you know, cases start in one place and prosecutors use the legal tools to push to the next. Professor, is, is this case about uh, a, a kid who has given warning signs to the parents and the parents have ignored them and then goes out and commits this heinous crime and now the parent is, uh, you know, charged with involuntary manslaughter? Yeah, I mean, we look, the facts of this case, like I said, if so, there's a legal principle that you're never responsible for somebody else's actions. But if I wanted to test that principle on an exam, you couldn't be more um, strained. You couldn't be more uh, torn than where the parents buy the gun for the child, where the parents ignore the child's deteriorating mental health, the child's explicit calls for therapy, uh, the parents ignore the child's Googling um, after ammunition, the, mm -hmm. the parents ignore the child drawing pictures of causing death in the school. Indeed, the parents are called to the school that day and asked if they want to take the child home. Uh, and in most damning, the parents do not tell the school officials that he's in possession of a loaded gun. So I'm not saying that um, every case is going to look like this. Um, as I say, I, I'm torn myself. Mm -hmm. um, these are extraordinary facts, but... Um, but, you know, if you think about criminal law and you watch the law evolve, you're always going to be concerned about what the next case looks like. So the evolution, you would expect tests on this. I guess my question is, we, we've always had the, the gross negligence standard. We've had the reasonable sure. care standard. How much sure. does the Crumbly case expand those standards or, or does it? I think it does. Um, you know, it's one thing to be held grossly negligent for a child's injury. The classic case would be, for example, a parent who leaves a loaded gun around and the child injures themselves, right? And, of course, if, a, if the one place where you can be responsible for someone else's actions is, is if they are legally irresponsible. So if I leave a loaded gun around and my four-year-old shoots you, well, I'm responsible because a four-year-old is not, you know, an actor in the legal world, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're really almost a baby. 
Um, the other rare, more exotic case would be I leave a gun around and then an insane person shoots you, right? Again, they're not legally responsible. How about a lighter when it, with a toddler that you know is obsessed with fire? Exactly, exactly. But the reason this case is extraordinary is because, keep in mind, she's not being held negligent for something somebody kind of, so to speak, accidentally did or somebody with no agency did. She's not even being held responsible for leaving, say, a lighter around and somebody burns themselves. She's being held responsible for somebody, a young adult, to be clear, and I think looming in the background, his mental health difficulties matter, but somebody who's old enough to take purposeful action. And she's being held for the people he killed, right? So that is legally a really significant step forward that she's not just responsible, for example, for child neglect, but for involuntary manslaughter. Professor, how does this affect uh, James Crumbly, her husband's trial that comes up next month? Does this help or hurt his case uh, when he goes on trial next month? I mean, look, so every case has a different jury and in that sense is different, but nobody uh, outside of the the parents who've lost children and had injured children, nobody's got to be more uh, devastated by this ruling than James Crumbly. It's, you know, the facts are as close as can be. if you're his legal team, this is obviously a, a real a devastating blow. Um, this is pure speculation on my part, but I'll be interested to see if the, the James Crumley team decides to go forward or whether they think they can get a plea bargain at this late mm. date. Um, this is, you know, for them, this is a really, really bad day. Um, now, some of your listeners will remember that um, these two are going to be tried together. And it was only at the last minute that they decided to separate their cases. And again, this is informed, uh, or excuse me, educated speculation, but speculation. Surely they decided somewhere along the line that each of them thought the other had facts that were more damning individually than together, right? So you heard her argue he was the one who bought the gun. He was in charge of locking Mm -hmm. it up. And I presume that his legal strategy will have some of the same, but... um, and maybe they think now that she's been convicted, it's easier to what lawyers call blame the empty chair. Um, but this was a bad day for his legal team. Um, just about a minute left, but I, I read an article that this could further prosecutors accepting plea bargains and getting more pleas instead of getting to court and this being public like this crumbly trial. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really important that, um, you know, we naturally care about the most spectacular cases, the cases that get on the radio and are on TV. Um, but most of our most of our criminal law system is a plea bargain system. Most of it happens kind of quietly in the shadows. And now prosecutors will have one more tool to say to somebody, I know you think this is a legal principle. I know your lawyers told you nobody gets convicted this way, but I have a conviction. You can take this three years or I will prosecute this case and I'm going for 15 or 30 or 50. Um, and the, those cases will play out without any of the fanfare. Uh, I think this discussion will continue as we move forward here in classrooms like yours, sir, and uh, classrooms like ours here on the radio. <laughs> and courtrooms where these things will exactly. be Exactly. Thank you for your time. Echo Yanka, Associate Dean for Faculty and Research and a professor at University of Michigan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, coming up, the brand new Michigan State football coach on National Signing Day.